This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. This is Chris Arns and your host of Iron Sharpens Iron Radio, and uh, a man who has become one of my favorite guests to interview is back on the program today, and his name is Angus Stewart. He is the pastor of the Covenant Protestant Reformed Church of Ballymena, Northern Ireland. And today we are going to be addressing supernatural and infallible regeneration, most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable. And it's my honor and privilege to welcome you back to Iron Trumpets Iron Radio, Pastor Angus Stewart. A privilege to be back with you and your listeners, Chris. Praise God. <clears throat> Well, uh, this topic is one, in fact, I think every time we have you on the program, uh, the topics we address are one of the most important topics within the Christian faith, namely regeneration. And if you could start off our discussion uh, by uh, defining regeneration, there are, there are churches that may not even use that word. They may just simply say born again uh, or things like that but uh, tell us about regeneration yes Chris regeneration um, let's break it down the words generate and re means again so to generate again so God generates us again with a spiritual life born again or born from above refers to this same work with different language saying that it is like a new spiritual birth. The other word that's used in our Bibles is begetting, which emphasizes the birthing of us more from the perspective of God, as it were, a male begets and a woman gives birth. So God plants a new seed of life in us. It's heavenly life. It's the resurrection life of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified for our transgressions risen again for our justification. He plants this new life in us as a seed. First Peter 1 and James and 1 John 1 verse 3 use that he have a seed inside us. So in principle, all of our organism or organic life is in us at the very beginning when God instantaneously grants to us this new spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ. So regeneration, the new birth, being born again, all biblical theological ways of speaking of this wonder, which for the benefits of those who wondered about the title, the, the canons of Dort explain as ineffable, something that that is difficult to set forth in words. So we're using biblical words, we're making a point, something that is infallible. That is, when God wills to regenerate someone, he regenerates us. It's something most powerful. It's a supernatural, divine, heavenly work. And I'm just using the language there now, and in the title for tonight, from the Canons of Dort, the original five points of Calvinism, Head 3-4, Article 12. Chris, I think this is worth quoting for your listeners. They're bound to like this. This is the regeneration so 
highly celebrated in Scripture and denominated, or called, a new creation, a resurrection from the dead, a making alive, which God works in us without our aid. And then it goes on to say that this isn't merely a moral suasion. It's not just some effect only of the preaching or God does his bit, but it remains in the power of man whether he's regenerated or not, converted or not. But, to quote precisely and by word, it, that is regeneration, is evidently a supernatural work, most powerful, and at the same time most delightful, astonishing, mysterious, and ineffable, not inferior in efficacy to creation or the resurrection from the dead, as the Holy Scripture inspired by the author of this work declares. And that last point is significant because the canons of Dort are saying, and this is biblical too, that the, the power and might of God that goes into regenerating one totally depraved dead sinner is not inferior or less than the power which God used in creating the world in the very beginning in Genesis 1 or in raising one person from the dead like Lazarus or indeed the entire human race on the last day from the dead. That's a mighty, supernatural, amazing work. And this work is something which God works in the heart of each and every true child of his, and without which there is no such thing as a Christian. This is crucial. This is the very beginning of the application to us of our salvation, which we have in Jesus Christ, the Lord, who died for our sins, and all this is in accordance with our eternal election in Christ in his great love and unspeakable mercy before the foundation of the world. Now, so what you're saying is that the biblical understanding of regeneration, mm-hmm. or should I say that in the biblical understanding of regeneration and the historically Protestant reformational understanding, especially the Reformed understanding is that man is completely passive in his own regeneration. Yes. And yes. And therefore, this is 100% the work of God in this, in these individuals, those of us who are born again. Uh, <clears throat> and here is where the confusion lies with a lot of people, especially who don't believe in our understanding of the Ordo Salutis, the order of salvation, uh, I would say that although Reformed theology is on the rise, I still believe we are a minority within Christendom today. So therefore, I believe from what I've heard uh, and read and being in Christian media for so many years uh, is that people believe that once they exercise faith somehow uh, from uh, a soul that is sinful and selfish and wicked, uh, they somehow summon up this faith. And of course, you have <clears throat> Arminians and Roman Catholics having an unbiblical answer on how that is accomplished uh, through provenient grace, they call it, which is nowhere in the Bible. But 
but however it's accomplished, whenever the human summons up this faith, it, it therefore subsequently pleases God, and he regenerates them, and they are born again. They have the reverse order that we do. Yes, they do. And this error is already refuted even by the very language which the Holy Spirit chose to describe this wonder. It's called being born again or regenerated. Now, with regard to one's own physical birth, I did not choose to be born on the 8th of October. Right, Chris, are you writing that down? You, you, you want to be <laughs> 8th of October, you know, just a few good books. Anyway, I'm going to mention though, then I could get into trouble. Um, I did not choose to be born. I didn't choose my birthday. I'm not angry or upset about it or anything. I'm not cursing the day of my birth like poor Job did in his terrible trials. But being born, a person is born, but it's something that happens to them. And the new birth is just as much something that happens to us. Billy Graham wrote a famous book uh, with the infamous title, How to Be Born Again. Now, you can write a book, How to Be an Expert Carpenter, or How to Paint Your House, but you can't write a sensible book, How to Be Born Again. You right. may as well write a book, How to Be Born, and give that to all the unborn infants around the world. Besides the word itself, though, I want to look at some scriptures to show that being born again comes before faith, that being born again causes faith, that regeneration is the implanting of life, and then faith is the manifestation of that life. You could say it's like the birthing process again. Someone is born, and after they're born, they start breathing. Well, spiritually, someone is born, and then they start breathing, and that breathing is faith and prayer. But you don't have faith before regeneration any more than you have a baby uh, breathing before it's born. Let's start with a scripture. I think everybody would agree that the prologue in John 1 would be a key scripture. The first 18 verses of the gospel according to John. Here's John 1 verse 13. It, talk, it says here, they, that is Christians, were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John there is being emphatic. He says they were born, this new birth, is not of three things. That's antithetical, polemical, that's sharp. It's not of blood. It's not a matter of a physical birth or your physical descent. You're not born by the will of the flesh. Your own will, your own decision, your own believing, and you can't, and believing involves the will. Nor of the will of man, and there the will, and there the word man is male. So your father, your physical father, or, or even a preacher, you're not born, born again, of one blood, two, the will of the flesh, three, the will of man, but four, or but positively, we are born of God. And in the next verse, the verse that people believe and understand, the word was made flesh and dwell among us. The very verse before that great statement about the incarnation says, Three times, so that he who runs may read it. 
that man is not born by of blood, spiritual birth, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. But Arminianism is stone deaf. It's tragic. And then if you go from John 1 to John 3, that famous discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he used a physical analogy of something in the physical world, he says, the wind blows where it listeth or wishes or wants. I can't determine what way the wind blows. I was out jogging today, and when I went out, it seemed as if the wind was blowing into me. And then it turned round, it's an in and out track, and then the wind seemed to be blowing into me again. But I can't have any effect in the wind. It's probably psychological, this is swirling around, I must have got mistaken. But the wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound thereof, but canst not tell where it's coming or where it's going. And then Jesus twists it, uh, Jesus then hits the issue. He says, so is everyone, everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is the wind, the sovereign wind who blows wherever he wills, as when he pleases, from this one and not that one. And then somehow or other, Arminianism, R.E. Torrey, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, John Wesley say that after all, it's the free will of man. And if, if man can choose, if man, if you know anybody, Chris, who can change the direction of the wind with his free will, <laughs> if you can show me a person like that, then I'm prepared to become an Arminian. Just to speak. <laughs> Just to speak. Well, well, tragically, I've heard... Another good text from James, Chris, if you and your readers would like to hear this one. <clears throat> yes, I just wanted to say, tragically, I've heard people claim that ability. I'm not saying I agree or believe that they're uh, telling the truth, but uh, some of these word-of-faith Pentecostal heretics will claim they can change the direction of the wind. But anyway... You know, that, that's an interesting point, because logically, and thankfully, not everybody in the Arminian camp does this, but logically... If you believe that you can make yourself born, be born again um, by your own will, logically you're, you are confessing to have the same power to change the direction of the wind or to speed it up. And to go back to the biblical imagery regarding the resurrection from the dead, since regeneration is a spiritual resurrection from the dead, Anybody who claims that they can that they were born again by their own will, if they really understand what they're saying, this is what they're saying: that they are able and have have power not any whit less than the power of Almighty God, who raised Lazarus from the dead and will raise the entire human race from the dead, and that they have the same power. If you can regenerate yourself by your own free will, they're saying it's the same power to create the world out of nothing by their own will, like God in Genesis one. And it is interesting that the Word of Faith uh, people came out of, and every last one of them, so far as I'm aware, is a professing Arminian, or open theist, or even worse. And it is interesting where that, I'm not saying every Arminian, is, Arminian has got there, but logically that's where it entails. And some people have, as you pointed out, made that full, complete journey. Can we go to James 1 then? Yes. Here's James. Most people think James isn't very theological, but there's a lot of deep theology in James. James 1, verse 18. James 1, 18 mentions regeneration. And now listen for the very first thing that James says about regeneration. Quote, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of his own will. That's God's will. God of his own will. It's first in the English and it's first in the Greek. God of his own will begat he us. Begat, that's new regeneration, the new birth. He begat us with the word of truth. So who's active? God. God begat us. Who's passive? Us. This new birth that God achieves when he gives birth to us is said to be of his will, of his own will. And then if you look at the context, this is even more revealing. Verse 16, two verses before says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Skip a verse. Verse 18, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. There you are. Sadly, some people are erring. They're not searching the scriptures. They're not humbling themselves before God and reading what the word of God actually teaches. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. And the verse in between doesn't weaken my case. It builds it up. Do not err, my beloved brethren. James 1.16. Verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of light with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So don't err. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And then what's the first good and perfect gift that's mentioned? Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. And that is the first act of God in applying his salvation to us. It is that without that good gift of God, regeneration, all the other gifts are for our condemnation. Don't err. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Not from the will of man. It comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variableness with God. No shadow of turning. That is, his will is always one, constant. He always does whatever he wants. He can't be resisted. None can stay his hand. None can say unto him, What doest thou? Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. So, therefore, our description that you took uh, from the three forms of unity... Uh, supernatural and infallible reg- regeneration mm-hmm. uh, that uh, is proven in everything that you have been saying because if it's from God and God alone there's not going to be any halfway regeneration that fails or there's not going to be any regeneration that a dead sinner can resist it, it will always God you could always uh, declare or God, I should say, could always declare, after he regenerates a sinner, mission accomplished. Because Chris, that, that's superbly put. And you are of the same spirit and mind of the authors of the Canons of Dort. I didn't quote that whole article. I'm going to quote it now, and you'll see that they are saying, in the bit that I omitted, but I'm going to come to now, exactly what you just said. Regeneration is not inferior to creation, in efficacy to creation of the resurrection from the dead, as the scripture says, that's the bit I said earlier, now this, so that all in whose heart God works in this marvelous manner are certainly, infallibly, and effectually regenerated, and do actually believe. Whereupon the will thus renewed is not only actuated and influenced by God, but in consequence of this influence becomes itself active. Wherefore also man is himself rightly said to believe and repent by virtue of the grace received. That is, God infallibly regenerates it. God changes the heart. 
And then with the heart being changed and faith, we believe with the heart, faith comes out of the heart, then we believe and repent by virtue of the grace. God gives a new heart, therefore we believe. He changes us, therefore we respond to his grace powerfully. And actually, the following verses in James 1 go on and talk uh, 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 amazingly about what regeneration means in the life of the child of God. First John, the whole epistle does that. First Peter 1 and First Peter 2 does. This is a very, very rich subject. Chris, here's another point. We, we said that the new birth means it's, it's all of God. Resurrection and the new creation means it's God. The, another phrase that the Bible uses for regeneration is God giving us a new heart, a heart of flesh. That's Ezekiel Amen. 6 and Ezekiel 11. If someone believes that they can give themselves a new heart by their own free will, that would be even more crazy than, than a man who has no skill like myself, claiming to be a heart transplant surgeon and operating on myself and exchanging the, the heart, physical heart that I currently have for another heart. Or here's another reference to regeneration. The circumcision of the heart. You know, there was Old Testament, there was physical circumcision of the male sexual member. The New Testament reality is circumcision of the heart. And that is performed... That is performed, as Colossians 2 says, not with man's hands, but by the Holy Spirit. Or, the New Covenant deals with regeneration because it's God's writing his law upon the heart, that is, putting love in the heart, which 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23, and 1 John explains, is comes out of regeneration. Writing God's law upon their heart, putting love in their heart, and only God can do that, and he sheds the love of God abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit, as Romans 5, verse 5 says. Here's another one. The seed. We want to overwhelm our listeners, Chris, with solid biblical arguments so that they go home, if they're out, or they listen to their car, or they listen on their, on their computer, with, with a good spiritual meal. We're not going to give them old thin gruel here or, or soup with no body. There's a seed. God puts a spiritual seed in the heart. Man can't do that. It's the wonder of grace. Salvation, as Jonah said, from the wheel, from the wheel, or great fish's belly, is of the Lord from top to bottom, 100%. That's the only way God, the only way people who are sinful like us can ever be saved. And that's why we praise and worship God for His glorious act of delivering us in Christ. Amen. And we do have some questions here. Uh, we have Aaron in Indianapolis, Indiana. While every regeneration is truly a miracle, I wonder if Pastor Stewart might tell of particular supernatural accounts of the Lord's regeneration, of which he is aware, perhaps during awakening or revivals there on the Emerald Isle or in the UK, for the sake of glorifying God. <clears throat> Thank you, gentlemen. Um, that's an interesting question because everybody who gets saved is saved in this way, but, um, perhaps there's more unusual circumstances that might clearly reveal, uh, that, uh, this, uh, salvation or this salvific work was entirely of God. Uh, do you have an answer for our listener? A good question from, uh, the brother in Indiana? No, no, a sister, Aaron, E-R-I-N. 
Oh, E-R-I-N. Oh, that actually means Ireland. Wow. That name, Erin, E-R-I-N. So maybe that's why she asked, although maybe, I don't know if she knows what her name means. Um, Erin from Indiana. Uh, One could start with the Ireland perspective with St. Patrick, uh, a hero of mine. His uh, confession is a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful book, the earliest extant writing in, in Irish literature. He was a little bit after Augustine, so he's writing in the 5th century. He was a, a British Christian, that is, on the island of Britain, probably somewhere in the west of Britain, captured by pirates. His father and his grandfather were church office bearers, an elder and a deacon. But he was an unbeliever, and he was taken by Irish pirates over to the island of Ireland and sold worked as a shepherd boy, and it was there that God revealed himself to him. So He was born again as a slave, uh, a sort of prodigal son, and God severely disciplined through that experience. He escaped from captivity, came to Britain, possibly France, trained there, and went back as a missionary to preach to the people on the island uh, of Ireland, whom he, whom he dearly loved, and he writes, um, like the Apostle Paul, um, about how the Word of God worked in him mightily and how he would pray in all sorts of difficult circumstances, bringing the Scriptures to, to pagans, almost martyred. And that's a good example of a sovereign work of God regenerating a, a child of the church who went astray and then working in him mightily because it's the same grace that regenerates that that, that seed shows itself in in powerful ways in later life. Uh, as a second example, and I say this because I, I know more about my own personal experience than others, um, to me, regeneration was a great wonder, and this is one of the reasons why I chose this for tonight's uh, topic, because I was, was born again from an ungodly lifestyle. And it, and it amazed my school friends in, in, in high school and their point was, but, but surely you couldn't become a Christian. You couldn't become a Christian. But the point about regeneration is the wind blows where it wills, and God regenerates schoolboys according to his choice. And if a person is particularly wicked or stubborn or foolish or, as we would say, acts the gate, or, or, it doesn't make any difference. Because all the regeneration of all people are... If according to the omnipotent God, all alike easy to him, because none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? And after I was regenerated, then you've got a hunger for the word. First uh, Peter 2 talks about this, as newborn babes, that is, those who are already regenerated, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And I remember in my early days as a Christian, coming across Second Corinthians 5, verse 17, which says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. And I thought, that's my Bible verse. That that describes me. Because some among my friends and, and the family there were, you know, unbelievers and ungodly people and some some who mocked and then and there were some who believed in salvation by works. That's a Protestant version of the old Roman Catholic heresy, salvation by works, you go to heaven by being a good person. Although if that's the case, why did Jesus die on the cross, and why do you need regeneration? Um, and I was getting this sort of barrage. And Second Corinthians 5, verse 7, If any man be in Christ, 
He is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I said, there it is. That, that, that's, that's me. That's the wonder of, of regeneration. And among the many truths in the Bible that are precious, this one of regeneration is one that always has meant a lot to me. So in my very early days in the ministry, one of my first sermons was on John 3, on the new birth, that famous scene with Jesus and Nicodemus, because I wanted to preach about that. And actually we have on our website, on our homepage, cprc.co.uk, Mary built a regeneration resources page. It's linked to the homepage. You can see it near the top right, cprc.co.uk. And the sermons on John 3 are on there. They deal with the necessity of the new birth. Even Nicodemus, who was a Jew, who was a Pharisee, who was a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, in the top 70 religious leaders, Jesus told him, you must be born again. The necessity of the new birth, the agency of the new birth, born of water and the Spirit. The Spirit's the agent of the new birth, not the free will of man, nor water baptism, not decisional regeneration or baptismal regeneration. Then verse 8, the sovereignty of the new birth. We spoke about that earlier. The wind blows wherever it listeth. And then the revelation of the new birth. Jesus told Nicodemus about that. How come you're a master or a teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? They're there in the Old Testament. I can say more about that too. And then later on and more recently I preached on James 1, including the second half of James 1 on regeneration. brought me back to one of my favorite subjects. And that brings out even more riches on that subject. So the Lady Erin of Indiana, that's been quite expansive. I hope she finds some of that helpful and, and uh, interesting. Well, she says, thank you, Pastor. Yes, I am aware of the beautiful meaning of my name. I'm not worthy, she says. <laughs> and Erin, uh, Erin, you, you'll have to come over to Ireland and come back to your name's home. <laughs> Mary and I have two spare bedrooms. And as long as as long as you're you know house trained and so forth, who of us would love to meet you and have you over with us once the coronavirus is gone, and if you can get your husband or I don't know what age you are if you're married to come over, whatever you'd be very welcome. CPRC.co.uk. Look us up. Bear that in mind. And even if it's a few years down the line and we're still living, you've got free accommodation. The flight will be expensive, possibly more. Once this coronavirus thing cuts in. And if they take out the middle aisle seat, the prices will be even higher. But you've got free accommodation. There you are. Haven't you stolen enough American citizens from this end of the uh, pond here? <laughs> I'm speaking well, of your, your your wife was uh, somebody that you stole from our country, isn't she? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, a number of the young men, although not all of us are so young now, have... Uh, married fine Christian ladies from America. And some of us have talked about uh, America as being like Padan Aram in the book of Genesis. <laughs> Just as Abraham and, and Isaac uh, got, got wives uh, for their sons from Padan Aram, there are a few members of our church who've gone to Mesopotamia and come back with fine, godly, wonderful, wonderful women. Well, I also have a question that I will ask you, and I will have you answer it <clears throat> when we return. And I may get myself into trouble with my own fellow Calvinists. 
if I don't word this very carefully and properly. <clears throat> but I obviously agree with you and the Reformed faith historically that uh, regeneration is a monergistic act. It is an act of God alone. <clears throat> At the same time, does not God in his sovereignty use means to bring about this miracle? Uh, for instance, in the, uh, the, the famous parable in Matthew 13, uh, the power, parable of the soils, or as most people probably call it, the parable of the seeds uh, and the sower, or the sower and the seeds, uh, you have planting and watering going on, and then God alone gives the increase, which I were, which I would view as regeneration. Uh, we can't be uh, too disappointed, and we can't get involved in self-loathing when we tirelessly evangelize, and especially this would go for a missionary who might have given up everything where he lives and gone to a foreign world and maybe laboring there for years amongst the people and either see one or two conversions or maybe none for, for years because we, we, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves because we have to remember it is God that gives the increase. But if you could answer that when we return. Uh, so, as I said before the break, although I am... A monergist, I believe that God does not uh, require or even involve the cooperation of men to, to save sinners. He uses means, however, and would I be correct in saying, as even the parable of the soils, sometimes called the power, parable of the sower and the seeds, or the seeds and the sower, and... Uh, it seems to be depicting there that regeneration comes about when men are planting and watering seeds through evangelism and the preaching of the gospel, etc. So if you Chris, could, all right. if you could answer that. Chris, your, your orthodoxy is unimpeachable. <laughs> and, and, and even though you use the word though, I believe in monergism, but God uses means. Um, that's no compromise of, of monergism, the truth that God works salvation by 100%. One of the verses we cited earlier even makes your point. I'll come to Matthew 13, if, if I will, later. James 1, verse 18, of his own will begat he us. There's monergism, entirely of God's sovereign will. The wind blowing wherever it wills, as John 3 says. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. And that's the means. God regenerates us by means of the word of truth. And then the next verse goes on to talk about hearing. The means is the word, especially as it's preached. Hopefully we'll get back to that. And then there are other passages, including including First uh, Corinthians 4, verse 15, and Philemon 10, uh, interestingly, Paul, mentioning the role of the Word in regeneration. So God uses the Word in regenerating people and sovereignly. And this is where the really important, a really important and oft omitted point ought to be made. 
the key here is 1 Peter 1 verse 23. 1 Peter 1 verse 23. It says there, being born again, regeneration, the new birth, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Here there are two senses or aspects of regeneration. There is first being born again of, the the Greek uh, preposition is ek, of, out of. We're born again not out of a corruptible seed, but out of an incorruptible seed. So here's the first logical step in regeneration, the first of the two senses. God implants a seed in us, and regeneration is out of that seed he implants. So, out of. And then the second preposition is by. We're born again, one, out of an incorruptible seed that's inside us, that seed's implanted, and then two, by the word of God, which we hear preaching. So, it's, it's like this. The world of horticulture. What you do is you take a seed for certain types of uh, vegetation, and I usually see it in the pictures with the little thumb. You put the thumb, you use the thumb to put the seed into the ground, and then the rain, and of course, sunshine comes, and, and the seed germinates and grows. Well, what God does in regeneration is, number one, he plants the incorruptible seed in us, out of which we're born again, and, num- and two, the second sense, is he uses the word of God to bring the life implanted in us to manifestation. So so James 1 verse 18 refers to the second sense of regeneration. We're born, it says there, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. So what happened was God sovereignly implanted the word, uh, implanted the seed in us, stage 1, which James 1 doesn't mention, but 1 Peter 1 does. And then James 2 mentions the word of truth that comes uh, by the power of God and germinates the seed. So it's all sovereign. Regeneration is all sovereignly. The first stage is immediate. That is, without the means of the word, God plants the seed in us. The second stage or aspect um, is where the word of God itself comes and then brings the life to manifestation. And this brings me back to Matthew 13, the parable of the sower or the soils. And if, if we wanted to fit that in with the two um, senses of regeneration or aspects to it, there's the sower, he sows the seed. That's the second stage. And then the soil, God makes good soil. That's, as it were, regeneration. is preparing the heart. Putting, and then and then the word comes. That's what's signified by the seed in Adam's. Did I make that clear enough? Oh, yes, you made it perfectly clear. And it, it's also key that you said he makes the soil fertile for the increase that he brings, because according to Romans 9, we are all, both the reprobate and the elect, created from the same soil originally. We are. Same lump of clay. You couldn't even You couldn't even grow reeds from the sort of soil we are. We're corrupt, and we're the children of wrath, even as others. Okay, I have, well, I have one more question that may get me in trouble with many of my listeners. <laughs> uh, That's an to start a sentence. I'm sorry? <laughs> That's an ominous way to start a sentence. 
<clears throat> well, anybody who knows me and who has listened to this program knows that I absolutely love the late R.C. Sproul. He has been one of the greatest influences on my life and my uh, sanctification and understanding of theology. I consider him a great hero of the faith. Uh, I prize as one of my most valued possessions the commendation that he wrote for this program after being interviewed on it. <clears throat> and I could not stop raving and singing praises for the late R.C. Sproul. But I was watching YouTube fairly recently, and there was a panel discussion that R.C. was having during a Legionnaire conference, and on that panel were Dr. Al Mohler and Ravi Zacharias, the only Arminian amongst the three, and uh, somebody in the audience, they were, they were answering questions from the audience, and somebody asked, uh, or either the audience asked or the, uh, the moderator asked, I'm not, I can't remember which, but the question was asked, uh, what, do you, what is your opinion of the seeker-sensitive movement? And R.C. began responding in ways during which I agreed with everything he was saying up to a point. He was talking about how he was very dismayed uh, over the seeker-sensitive movement, so-called. Um, he was talking about how unbiblical it is and dangerous and basically said, oh, it's, it's uh, no good. <laughs> uh so, he was right on the money. But then, you know, he, he started rightly quoting from Romans chapter 3, uh, where we read, uh, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So therefore, he said, and this is where I disagreed with him. <clears throat> he said, no one seeks after God unless they are already born again. He said men seek after religion and uh, uh, facets of religion and things that are embodied in religion uh, that are pleasing to them uh, while discarding other things, but they are not truly seeking Christ. They're not truly in humility and repentance and so on seeking Christ. All right, th this is where I disagree. <clears throat> I believe, and you could uh, either agree with R.C. Or, or agree with me on this, obviously. I believe that the unregenerate would never seek after God left to their own depraved hearts and minds. But I believe God also softens men's hearts and they do begin to seek before they're regenerate. Because if you have only born-again people seeking after Christ, you have 
regenerate people who do not yet believe in Christ, who are seeking for him, if you follow what I'm saying. I don't know if Farsi Sproul had the time to rethink that, because it was kind of an on-the-spot way of answering it. But I can say that, and I hope I don't offend you in this either, but uh, other than infant baptism, it's the only time I can recall disagreeing with Brother Sproul on, on anything uh, that I can remember. But if you could, comment on what I just said. Um, Chris, there was quite a lot there. I, I'm not sure I, I grasped it all. You, you, you explained it clearly, um, no, no doubt. Um, In other words, do men who are unregenerate ever seek for God? And I'm not saying that they do that in their own uh, depraved hearts and minds unaided. I believe, like, for instance, God even softened Pharaoh's heart to release the Israelites, the Hebrew slaves. Um, and, but yet Pharaoh was, was still as lost as he ever was before. Uh, I, I believe that the, the drawing process involves lost people having their hearts softened before they are actually in a full-blown state of being regenerate. <clears throat> and... That's because, I, as I said, if you have only born-again people seeking after Christ, you have people who are regenerate who do not yet know Christ because they're still seeking, you follow, if you follow what I'm saying. Uh, sort of. Um, with regard to Pharaoh, um, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh hardened his own heart and then God hardened his heart so he even went into the um, the Red Sea and, and was drowned. I think you're gonna you're gonna agree with it. When when Pharaoh released the children of Israel, it was it it was because he was sick of the sight of them and he realized that he couldn't hang on to them any longer. That useful as they were as slaves, this was more hassle than, than what it was worth. It's still described when, as the softening of his heart by God, though. Sorry. It's still described as the softening of his heart by God that resulted in that. Uh, I'm not aware of any scriptures that talk about the softening of his heart, but it was good. It was good. It was it was good for Israel that they got out anyway. <laughs> um, uh, the idea of someone seeking God, there is none that seeketh after God. Um, when, when we go back to what R.C. Sproul said about someone may seek deliverance from hell, or they may seek help to get rid of their drunkenness, or they may realize their life is empty. Um, I find myself agreeing, agreeing with him there. I can remember days before I was converted, and I was I believed that the Bible was true, and that, that I was a wicked person who deserved punishment. Um, and someone could say I was a seeker. You know, presumably some Christians might have said I was a seeker. But all that time, I, I was there was, there was only once when I sought God when I really meant it. All the other time, uh, there's a hell, maybe I'm going to die tonight in my sleep. And then there was one time when I was seeking God, only God, only the forgiveness of sins, and not just a better life or a way out of my current misery or to avoid hell. And whenever I really wanted to trust, then I believed the gospel and it all appeared very... Very simple, God renews the heart. Now, with regard to the psychological stages that someone goes through before 
see if that is that is um, more complicated. I, I'm not sure that with, that I understand all the questions, Chris, and, and what we're saying and what we're not saying. Well, like for instance, if you go back to my my main reason for rejecting the idea that you must be born again to first seek after God, is that therefore you would subsequently have regenerate people who are not yet Christians. You would have regenerate people seeking for Christ, and seeking for Christ means they haven't found him yet. Uh, and I'm and I'm and I'm saying, and I have to reiterate that I don't believe a totally depraved man or woman or child, unaided by the Spirit, will ever seek after Christ. But I believe the drawing process involves God softening hearts and prodding them, and and providence uh, placing people in the the right place at the right time where the gospel is being preached. And things like that. Uh, like, for instance, when a man, before he's regenerate, says to himself, I've got to find out what all the fuss is about, about this preacher that my family, my Christian family members are telling me about. And, and there's something going on there before the person is regenerate. That's, that's really all I'm saying. And, and going back to if you believe you have to be born again to even seek in that full state of regeneration before you even seek, then you have somebody who's seeking who is, who is regenerate and, and not yet a Christian. It doesn't seem to make sense to me. Okay. Um, Chris, some of this material is we're in and around the area of preparationism, and which I personally don't actually believe in, but then we have to define what, what we mean by it. And then as to seeking, what exactly do we mean by seeking? Like the Bible says those who seek find you know, so if you get some guy and he seems to be doing this, that, and the other, um, and he seems to be seeking, but he doesn't actually find it, wasn't a sincere, true seeking after God. There's a, a key bit in the Canons of Dort, Heads 3, 4, Rejection of Errors, number 4. It says, we reject the errors of those who teach that the unregenerate man, and I'm not saying this is what you're teaching either, Chris, I want to be clear, I'm just saying here's something clear that we can all agree on. There are those who teach that the unregenerate man is not really nor utterly dead of sin, nor destitute of all powers unto spiritual good, but that, but that he can yet hunger and thirst after righteousness and life and offer the sacrifice of a contrite and broken spirit, which is pleasing to God. And then comes the rejection. These are contrary to the express testimony of Scripture. Ye were dead through trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 5, and... Every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Genesis 6, verse 5, 8, verse 21. Moreover, to hunger and thirst after deliverance from misery and after life, and to offer unto God the sacrifice of a broken spirit, is peculiar to the regenerate and those who are called blessed. Verses are quoted from Psalm 51 and, and Matthew 5. Chris, I'm not sure... I'm going to be able to shed much more light on the matter on this one, and, and I have a lot of really nice stuff I'd like to get into on, 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 on regeneration. C- could, could we divert the path a little with my apologies that I didn't shed more light on that? Of course, of course. Um, let's Before you go on to anything else, let's go to a listener question, especially since she's a first-time questioner. Uh, we have Sharon 
And I don't know if it's Wanakee or Wanakue, New Jersey, W-A-N-A-Q-U-E. But she says, Reverend Stewart, is there a proper analogy between the seed of regeneration of our souls and the seed of resurrection of our bodies that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42? So both our souls and bodies are made new. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. That's uh, an interesting question from Sean from New Jersey. I'm sidestepping the the town there, Chris. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 42 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. There Paul is explaining what happens at a burial and what happens on the last day. And this is something for those who are at, who have been at funerals, especially with loved ones and people really close to them. What happened at the funeral? My husband, my wife, my father, my mother, my children. We put the body in the grave and it was like a sowing, a seed that one day will bring forth a crop. And that's how the Christian thinks about about about, about a burial. Um, so that's an analogy to help us to understand the faith perspective on burials. The seed imagery in regeneration is, is a reference ultimately to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. He is put in us, the indwelling Spirit, the indwelling Christ, the indwelling of the triune God through Christ by the Holy Spirit as a seed that is spiritual life, which life then blossoms, comes to manifestation through the Word in faith, hope, and love, in putting off sin, in walking in righteousness. So the word seed is used in the two different instances, regeneration and ultimately the... the uh, uh, resurrection, but in one the idea is the implanting of a new life in someone, and the other one has to do with the physical body, and it's an image to understand the burial and the glory that God is going to work on on the last day. Great. Well, thank you, Sharon, in Wanakee or Wanakee, New Jersey. And we do have a listener from Northern Ireland as well, uh, and I've Correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like it's pronounced Antrim, Northern Ireland. Antrim, yes. Yes. Uh, Sam says, since regeneration produces faith in us, is faith our responsibility or the Holy Spirit's? Oh, okay. So the key word there is responsibility. Right. Is if our responsibility or the Holy Spirit's? Um. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, that is salvation, the grace, the faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2. So the Holy Spirit gives us faith. He is responsible for giving us, if you want, to us, if we want to use that word. The believer is responsible, and even the unbeliever is responsible who believe? That is, God commands unbeliever and believer. Here is the truth. Believe everything I say in my word. Centrally, this is the key 
Protestant point about faith. Centrally, faith is directed to the promises of God in Jesus Christ and his salvation. So the command to believer and unbeliever is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. So man is responsible to do or to believe, whether it's a command of God or whether it's a gospel proclamation, exactly what God tells him to do or believe. So, you know, the Holy Spirit is responsible as the giver of faith, but we are responsible, probably a slightly better word, accountable or commanded, and we ought to believe. So that would be my answer to that one. We have Susan Margaret in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, who says, there are some who reject the Reformed faith, who build a caricature of it, and when they reject our understanding of the order of salvation or the order of salutis, they say that in our understanding, since we believe as Calvinists, regeneration precedes faith, that there is some period of time between regeneration and faith that takes place. So therefore, you have regenerate people walking around with no faith until at some point they receive it. It could be days, it could be weeks, months, or even years and decades. Uh, Is this not a falsehood or a caricature? Does not faith immediately flow from the regenerate heart? Yes. Regeneration is the giving of life. And when someone is given spiritual life, They have spiritual life and they reveal that. They believe. We're born again onto a lively hope. So those who are born again, hope. We're born again, that's 1 Peter 1 verse 3. We're born again onto love. Later on in that same chapter, we're born again onto faith. So regeneration shows itself in faith, hope, and love. There is no gap there. I mean, if you're going to talk about um, unborn infants, John the Baptist He was regenerated in his mother's womb. He even leapt for joy in the presence of Christ. That's right. That's right. So there was a manifestation of regeneration in an unborn infant. Um, So, yeah, you you can't have life without showing it. That's basically what it boils down to in, in layman's terms. We do not believe in regenerate people living like the devil. In fact, first, first John chapter three, even says that he who is born of God doesn't commit sin for his seed remains in him and he cannot sin because he's born of God. That refers to someone he cannot live in sin independently. He cannot live in sin as the main course and drift of his life and from the perspective of the believer with regard to his new nature. The new nature cannot sin. The believer can sin and he does sin. He sins according to the flesh, the, uh, the flesh and the spirit are always battling, fighting against one another, as Galatians 5 and Romans 7 especially teach. And, of course, regeneration is the truth which underlies that struggle. Because we have the new birth, we have a new nature, and this hence flows the battle between the flesh and the spirit, the old man and the new man in Christ Jesus. To go back to another point from uh, the, the questioner um, about being a caricature of the Reformed faith, the only way in which the Reformed faith can be uh, beaten in an argument is by caricature because the reformed faith is the truth it's a faith
faithful summary of what the Bible itself actually says, and uh, as B.B. Warfield put that so, so clearly, the Reformed faith is nothing else but the pure summary and systemization of the lively oracles of God. Amen. <clears throat> and it, it may confuse those who oppose the Reformed faith when we give an order or when we say the Bible gives an order to salvation, they may misunderstand what we mean by regeneration comes first, faith comes second. They may not realize in that wording that we mean instantaneously faith comes second. Yes. God is a God of order. That's why church meetings are to be orderly places. That's why the creation is orderly. God sets stars and the sun and the moon in the heavens, there's water and there's dry land. And God, when he, when he applies to us the salvation which Jesus Christ has earned for us, he applies it in an orderly, logical, understandable, though also mysterious way. And the classic verse for this is Romans 8, verse 30. For whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Four stages are mentioned there. The first one's predestination. That's before the foundation of the world, the gracious choice of God of some equally unworthy sinners to full, rich, blessed salvation in Jesus Christ. And obviously, that predestination comes before, logically and temporally, the cross and our, our salvation in time. Then God predestinates us, and then he calls us. The gospel comes partly. God speaks through his word to us, we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. That's the call. Whom God calls, he justifies, because when God calls us effectually, powerfully in our souls, we hear that voice, we respond as, the, as to our Lord and Savior, Good Shepherd, Jesus, and we believe. And then justification, God's declaration of us as righteous, is by faith alone. And obviously glorification, that is, the believer as to his soul in heaven after death, or even ultimately in the new heavens and new earth, that must come after justification. That's future to us believers on earth. So there's an order there. Romans four, Romans 8, verse 30 mentions an order. And then there's regeneration. That comes in there. Sanctification, God's making us holy, obviously comes after his regenerating us and giving us life. The progressive work of dying to sin and living on to righteousness. The work of preservation. Well, God cannot preserve us in our salvation until he's actually regenerated us. So preservation comes, obviously, after, logically and chronologically, after regeneration. And so the Reformed faith in saying there's an order in which God applies salvation to us are doing justice to the orderly nature of the triune God. Everything is of the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. We're doing justice to the Scriptures which teach this, and we're reading the Bible intelligently and by faith to try and draw out from the Word of God successfully too by His Spirit the wonder work of our salvation. God has delivered us. He wants us to know about it. He wants to think about it, listen to good radio shows about it, pray about it, search the scriptures, and learn about the great God, the God of our salvation, and, 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 then, and then we want to worship him and give him thanks for delivering us from so great a death. Praise God. Well, uh, a lot of what Susan Margaret was saying actually is very connected to my question before that uh, you scolded me for bringing up <laughs> God. It was a very light scolding, though, Chris. Now, come on, be fair to me. Uh, and, I, and I must confess, 
that the wording God softened Pharaoh's heart does not exist. And I was perhaps guilty of eisegesis there. But perhaps a better example would have been Nicodemus. But since we have a month since until you're going to be back on, uh, I'd like to reintroduce that question when you're back on, at least briefly, after there's uh, some time at least. I'm hoping you're going to drop that one, but we can talk about this later. (laughs) (laughs) I want to thank you for being on the program today. And if you could give your website one more time. It's uh, www, obviously. CPRC, Covenant Protestant Reformed Church, cprc.co.uk. And I want to thank everybody who listened, and I want you all to always remember for the rest of your lives that Jesus Christ is a far greater Savior than you are a sinner. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.